And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. It's springtime in Blackwood Point National Park. Here's what to know before you go. Bring a map. You could get lost out there. Watch your step so you don't get caught in the snags and brambles. Use the buddy system. The woods are wild and full of predators. And most importantly, keep noise to a minimum. This isn't a place for you kids to party. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. I'm Heather Buckley. Yes. And I'm Langley West. Yes. <laughs> episode 195. What's the last episode we we did that? It was I like, don't know. It was a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> uh, we're super stoked, as you can probably tell. Uh, episode 195. We are here with uh, Heather Buckley, who is, as many of you know, was on the show for a while, and she took off to go make movies, and she's here to talk about the movie she made. <laughs> And we're super excited. Please yeah. welcome Heather Buckley. Yay! Very excited to be here. Good to get it. I have to tell you out of the box that when, um, in, on Facebook and stuff, when suddenly this, I had knew I knew that you were involved with the Ranger, and then I saw like EW put an article up on it, and uh, Entertainment Weekly, and I was like, Oh, look at this! Yeah. Check out the very excited. <laughs> Check out the rainbow red. <laughs> very very cool. Okay, so uh, I mean, are are we going to talk mostly about the ranger? Are we going to talk about? Do, uh, no, we're going to talk about everything. Okay. I know that you grew up in New Jersey. I I broadcast that a lot, and when I go to film fest, people go up to me and go like, "You post about New Jersey a lot, or are fascinated in my Jersey posting." But yes. So while I and Langley know the, the story, tell me about, I want to know about like young Heather Buckley growing up, uh, mom and dad Buckley, and, and was there always a love of monsters and that kind of thing? Well, uh, little Heather Buckley um, was probably socialized in a strange way and was rejected by most of society growing up. And then so she was left to her imagination and drawing monsters and creatures. She's very scared of horror movies, but was fascinated to sort of like peek at different sort of things, like the very free-ranged horror child. And so my father would watch things like The Fly and Poltergeist, and I was very young, and it freaked me out. But I, but the memories of being freaked out, like I would revisit over and over again. It's the same thing like going upstairs to my mother's house at the Stephen King, uh, a book, um, uh, it was um, it's Night Shift, right, with a hand? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I would open it up, 
and freak myself out and close it and run away. So already it's like a, an, an artist child who's way too smart for her own good and watch and watching horror films. And um, I was like when I when I saw Bib Fortuna in Java's Castle, like I, I, I his tail barge, I ran, I ran out of the theater. I was scared of rubber masks. So I was I was a skittish child. This was before like I feel I tell I tell people stories like Eric, it's like um Eric the Phantom. It's like I was dejected enough at some point that when I revisited horror, when I revisited Friday the Thirteenth, because I had a metal friend in in uh, middle school, and he went like Heather, like we because I was punk rock, you know, or what was well like prim, prim, primordial. Uh, punk rock and I, and it was right there and he goes like Heather you know like we all listen we all watch horror movies his name is TJ it's like we just watch the horror, horror movies and not be scared of them because I think the whole group wanted to wanted to talk about it and, and at that point like I watched Friday the 13th and I went like oh Jason's tall lives in New Jersey kills the cheerleaders and the John Hughes establishment you know the aristocracy it's like I'm on board yeah I'm on board with this <laughs> I love and that I love that kills cheerleaders as part of that. I love the idea that young Heather Buckley sees Jason and says, "Hello, tall, dark, and handsome." It's true. It's true. But I'm, uh, all the uh, all the um, characters that I that I I love, I also see a reflection of myself in. So for him, it's just sort of like this. You know, it's a it's a big character. People mm-hmm. are not people are not gonna people are not gonna bother you, and he carries a certain sort of like ang- anger uh, anger a- anger with him at, at, at the world, vengeance, all that, all that, all that. All that fun stuff well, to play with. We we've all three. Uh, 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 I know that we have all three on, on on a previous episode or a couple previous episodes have talked about how the the monsters, the bad guys, quote unquote, are um, they're incredibly sympathetic, and they that we 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 do we see ourselves in them. The the you know the the misfit, the outcast, the person who can't fit in. And yes, once you can fit in, yeah. Michael, we all can fit in. I mean, for nefarious reasons, of course, but we can always look at ourselves as uh, it's all. I, my my friend told me when I was discussing to this a while ago. He said that it's it's more of a counterculture way of looking at horror because most people are not going in there going like oh jigsaw and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're 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 an outsider again, Langley. What you said like that's that's the part that you. That you see in them. Also, yeah. sort of like a damned outsider, like Travis Bickle. It's like there's no way that these characters can work themselves back into society. So not only do you have that, but you have the idea of sort of alienation or being an alien in society, which is what sort of what Nightbreeds are about, and punk rockers and goths and everything. Right, right. You know, it reminds me. Uh, we're going to talk about in a bit, but uh, this movie Border, this trailer Border. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that came out. Yeah. That got, See that at Fantastic Fest. I was told people. People told me like it's the best film of the year. Yeah, it's by the guy who did the original Let the Right One In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks but, amazing. But the idea of the outsider, and isn't that the same sort of territory that 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 Barker does about the outsider being the sympathetic one? And it's right. the, it's the normalcy invading. I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's also beautiful when he does it. Yeah, the idea is hip, hip, hypnotic and, and and lovely. I mean, though I can look at grotesque and also see beauty. I think he's specifically um, creating a, a sort of wooing state amongst his uh, monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 and, he, and even someone like Jason. It's like there's 
in all great characters, there's a justification of why they do what they do. Right. And and in monsters' cases, a lot of times, if you take a step back from the initial killing, <laughs> um, there's always uh, that. There's there, always that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like last episode. Well, okay, you put the rape aside. It's all good. Yeah. It's, it, it 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 reminds me of. I don't watch these movies, but it reminds me kind of of Thanos in these in these Marvel yeah, he movies. He has his reasons. He has his re. But that's true of. Heather comes Everybody. back and you start right. quoting Marvel films. I know. <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, why well, tell people when the the funny thing when people ask for my for my backstory? I go like, you don't want to ask Magneto his backstory. That's what I always feel when people ask ask me about like 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 why why are you like this? It's like well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been held down and had someone spit on your face? Yeah, that's like that. That'll get you there. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait. Have would you write had that conversation? Because no. that's happened to me. Yeah, happened Inside to me. my sketchbook, when I was very young, before I was 13, because that's kind of the time period when I started listening to punk and watching horror films, that I had, I am the, the phantom because man's hatred has made me so. Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So during this time, were you also the kind of person that was putting like pen to paper and like pouring your heart out into little notebooks and... Well, my my first my first artistic skill, which people will see when I'm when they're at the diner with me, is drawing. So I was a draftsman. So I would draw sort of very moody, interesting pieces, very dark things using like scri- scribbly sort of hands. I mean, though, in my in my school, my training, I was gonna go into a medical degree. Oddly enough. And then I decided to go to art school because of a sort of like uh, cognitive wheel theory, theory of rationalism. It's like your gift is what you can give to the world. And I always was a very talented artist. I just was born that way. My grandfather was a draftsman, and he encouraged it, and he uh, and he saw it. But I just could I could always draw. I did not write until later on in life because I sort of looked up to writers. And I sort of I said like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a writer? They're so brilliant. They're so they're so great. I always had writers in my life before I decided to start writing. And mm-hmm. a lot of that came to be instead of trying to find someone in your life to sort of be the cool, awesome writer with the classic car. See, I'm describing George Stark. Uh-huh. Is that you? You know, why don't I just do all the things that I wanted to find in somebody else? And I decided that. Uh, again, early on in life, it's like to just pursue what you think are sort of these traits that you admire. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking for them in other people, you know, write, draw, create, produce, keep doing that. Keep being the, the, the people that you idolize. Right. Mm-hmm. It's weird because sometimes, you know, it has... It has one of two effects on you whenever you have these kind of, you know, I'm using air quotes here, heroes, is it either inspires you to try to emulate them or do the same thing, mm-hmm. or it intimidates you and you're like, oh, I could never be, yeah. you know, so-and-so. It's and so you don't even try. Yeah, it's, it's plenty. I can tell you where, on one hand, having read someone like Lansdale, I thought, I can do this. Not that he's, but it was, I was inspired to do it. Yeah. I used to play guitar in bands and stuff. Uh, hearing Alan Holdsworth was like, you'll never be this good. Yeah. So, it, and it can, in that same instance, that's those same similar situation, 
it crushed me, and I was like, "Well, I don't want to do. I'm not going to do that." Right, right, and, right. And that, and so it happens. It's weird. It's it's weird yeah. how like some connect with you and some connect you in a different way. Were you a good student? Yes. Like you I got all your. You got all your shit in on time, and, but you just hated the <laughs> class experience. Because it's, I'm I'm saying that because that's how it was. I'm guessing for all of us. But go ahead. Okay, we're asking all my all my all my secrets about why I'm why I'm a monster. Yes, like I had the the upbringing of, again, outsider to all my peers, looking at writing, drawing movies, hanging out with movies and characters in movies, not really having a big friend group in Central Jersey. And of course, like, no one's going to date the freak girl. So there's a lot of time on my hands just to sort of focus on, on, uh, on m- myself and, and the philosophy of my life and academia. Mm-hmm. It's like Max Katie training in that cell. It's like we would, I would kid around with my writing partner, Ethan. It's like, what about all those Fangorias? It's like, already read them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing. For I remember growing up, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm sure it's the same for all of us, where... Those Fangoria issues, those famous monsters of film lands, they were like letters from from yeah. people that from this land that where all of this stuff happened. You're like, well, I, for me, it was like, holy shit! You mean there's other monster people out there like me? Yeah. And that was. I never was, thought that there was other people out there like me. I just started like these are. This is the thing that sustained me. That's one reason. The when I started writing is when Uncle Creepy asked me to write for Dread Central. But I never thought I never thought to write. Just like I never thought to produce. And they go, I guess you're producing now. It's like okay, I'm producing well, now. You're an FX chef, chef supervisor now. It's like okay. T- well, tell me about that. Was 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 Dread Central the first place that you wrote, quote unquote, journalism? Yes. Well, I was I was published as a short story writer a long time ago. I recently posted a noir story at a heist. Mm. Just work. I would just work odd jobs in between my design jobs, just because they were fun to, to see the world. So I was the secretary to construction site when I was writing longhand noir in the trailers, mm. and that and that got published. And I wrote I wrote a couple of short stories then, but it wasn't until Paul Nicolasi found me on MySpace and kept wanting to see my friend. And I said, "Who the hell are you?" And then I found out that he lived like eight minutes from my middle of nowhere, where I grew up in Central Jersey. And they said, like, oh, why don't you come visit? And he goes, I've never met a girl that knew this much about genre. I went to Texas, met met Dread Central and, every, and everyone, including people like Sean Clark when he was just selling T-shirts, was like, this girl needs to write about horror. Because when I was, a, 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 when I was again, 13, which is the watermark for this, I have, and I still have my library today, Fangoria's, Gore Zones, my entire library and all my books, and also clippings. Mm-hmm. And I did this because 13-year-old Heather said, you need these things. Because you're going to write about horror. Hmm. And then I always go back to that. It's like, well, you, you did. You wrote, Why did I know when I was 13 years old I had to, like, archive all this stuff? And what is my other job that I do is that I archive the making of films for distribution companies for their releases. So it's like I was a young archivist back, uh, back in the day, but also someone who was, um, you know, who had this creative uh, streak when it came to the uh, sort of visionary uh, artwork at a young at a young age dark visionary artwork. wow yeah, so uh, the and how great was good because I, I wanted to be a cardiologist like I was going into pre-med and I, I switched it right away and I go like I'm gonna I'm gonna go to art school wow mm-hmm. how, did, how did mom and dad Buckley feel about that were they supportive either way they are they were they are 70s parents which means that they're very hands off 
mm-hmm. and the raising of the children. So it's like whatever made me happy. They always sort of knew I was I was I, I was brilliant or very smart, and they let me too much so. And then they go like, and I, I feel like I struggle with this in life. It's it's like she can handle it. She doesn't need direction. She doesn't need any nourishment. She got this. But like you're a little kid, you kind of need that sort of structure. So when I decided I want to go to art school, they went fine. She mm-hmm. knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um. Uh, so at what point were the, were the writing about genre? At what point did you then did they start handing you interviews? Was it right away? Hard. It's hard to say. It's like I just felt. And the and my subjects when I interviewed them because okay so the whole reason I'm there reading Fangoria and Gore Zones and my father's taking me to Keyport to get them is because I I needed them to 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 help me understand film myself there was something in there 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 was a reflection it was like a mirror and I needed their work to be sustainable the writing work that I do is for all the little Heather's in the world that need that message that's also why I stand in front of films and doing Q and A because someone can see a six foot tall girl with a bihawk mm-hmm. they speak about genre film I think that's an important type of representation and if I ever saw that as like 13 years old at like a weekend of horror I would I don't know what I would do with myself yeah uh, so I would when I would sit with with talent it's just I was just there as a conduit to get their wisdom to get all the beautiful jewels and rainbows and unicorns and then bring them out to the world so other people can see. It's like, I had this great experience. I learned so much. This person is incredibly valuable when it comes to, um, you know, the creativity, the creative process, talking about art, philosophy, that I can, this can now be shared with the world. And yeah. I like that process, which is why a lot of my, a lot of my stuff is uh, an analysis. Because when in art school, I was taught, I was attracted to the kind of criticism, which is German idealism, to try to figure out what is the ideal form of what they're trying to create, and also from my design background, try to figure out how, what they're trying to communicate and what their audience is, and that's how the way that I would write about film. But sitting and interviewing people and being radically present and empathetic to, to get those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I also do commentary, and it's a very exhausting process to do because you have to be incredibly open. When I do um, commentary moderation, I actually really don't watch the screen. I watch them, mm-hmm. and I just see, like how they're thinking and you know what they're kind of come up with just to be a, just to be a support system for these stories. Right. And I think that's that's a great you know way of thinking about like Heather is a producer. It's like a support system for stories, and I trained that in my um, advertising design world for such a long time. That's why you shouldn't be shocked. It's like, oh, she became a producer. It's like, well, because I was like a creative lead and a creative director for so long. So the idea of being the inspiration, keeping people going, looking at process, looking at the work, protecting uh, the creative, protecting the process. Well, I we, we talked about it a lot. Keeper stories. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about it a lot on here. The idea of sitting at the knee of genius and, and, and getting those... Not only the um, those bits of information, but also the mindset, the the way they handle themselves, the way they talk, and then when you get into process, you see how someone like, you know, who, you know, pick your writer, or your filmmaker, whoever, you see how they put things together, and you think, oh, that gives you a template almost for how you might apply right. those same. And then once you start doing that, then 
then you find your own individual. It's like, oh, th- okay, this doesn't work for me. I got to do this. And right. I, I only felt that once while listening to an interview with Paul Schrader, but I'm actually I'm actually there to listen to their philo- their philosophy on life. Mm-hmm, it's exactly. Me, a philosophical standpoint, and and less something that's technical about my craft. Right. I mean, I recently interviewed Clive Barker, and a lot of that was about the. What came out of it was the idea of sort of like was the idea of ideas and and philosophy and how to approach um, different uh, different subjects and his obsessions and and to commune. So at that sense, you're communing with with someone, and then you have it. I mean, right. you never think right. about it like how I I can use it other than like I bring them I bring them up as part of like. Why well, don't. I don't mean it in a, in a manipulative way. I mean an idea of like of, by almost uh, absorption, you absorb a bit of that, and you real and you get these these sort of perspectives and and the way of looking at things. You get a bit of the mindset and the idea of that over the course of a of a of several years, decades of of talking to a, a variant years. Yes, of talking. Uh, well, it's talking to a varying amount of people, you don't get so much this person's way of doing it, but a consensus on these are the. This is how creativity is kind of done. Right. Yes. And I think it's worth way more than a than a, a BA or oh, a, something after my name. Yeah, it, that's what I, was, I guess trying to get to is that it's a broader topic because I just think of my position. It's like you're there to be open. You're there because you can instinct instinctually. Figure out like what are the passions, what are the um, what are the what are the information, but it, it it to me it's not a conscious thing to absorb the history of film or the philosophies of film or what art is or what these uh, dark artists, death artists are about. With that in mind, you know, like like I'm reminded, you know, we sit here, you know, each week and we talk to people as we're talking to Heather right now, and I don't do it consciously, but. I find myself um, coming away from these things, thinking, or not even not thinking, but just feeling like you know what what can I what what did I learn? What did I learn from that? And I don't mean you know well I learned that so and so was into disco at this particular point. Like that's all, none of that's important. But what is it that they're doing that? Um, that can help me, mm-hmm. you know. This is why people need to interview. This is why people need to interview me because I have not explored like what are you learning by interviewing people. I have not asked the meta situation. Mm, right, right, right. That I have a more of a role as conduit, and that's how I perceive myself. Sure. Actually, what am I benefiting from it? Sure. That but, never, but, that but never when, comes to my mind. When but you I have, have, when you have like. Us, for example, like pointing, uh, you know, you know, for lack of a better word, pointing the microphone at you. Um, I have to imagine that it forces you to kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, analyze. It, you know, like, oh, well, maybe this is why. Yeah. Yes, that's that's why the, the interviewing process is important. That's why I do Q and Q and A's at Necronomicon and all the things like that. Is that it forces you to think about mm-hmm. things in a good way. 
because I mean, that's why I go back to like philosophy. It's like I'm, I'm interested in like existentialism and nihilism and all those people like that, and the idea of like how do you talk about the world? How do you see the world? How do you speak about existence? How do you speak about art? Is incredibly interest, uh, interested uh, to me, and also the movies that I'm very attracted to. A lot of them that have Socratic rhetorical debate about again philosophy, like ninth configuration. Mm-hmm. Which I'm going to give a presentation in Brooklyn about ninth configuration. Which is the, what religious horror you want to talk about? It's like it's always ninth configuration. Because a lot of people haven't seen it. <laughs> the techniques that <laughs> these in the film. Because there's no cult because nobody saw it. So everyone has to see it, and then we can form the cult. Right, right. It's very, it's very true. So tell me now. So you're, so you're working with Dread and Fango and Gorezone and a lot of these places. How do you? It seems like a kind of just a sidestep to Redshirt. I yeah. When I when I worked at, at when when Mike asked me to work at, at Redshirt, mm-hmm. it took me a while to realize that I was doing sort of another form of journalism. I was mm-hmm. doing video journalism of. You know what I what I was doing in the meantime at these at these outlets. Well, at that time, I think I wrote for Dread Central, Fangoria, Gorzone for about almost ten years. So I was there at the beginning, and I would just I wrote I'm, I'm one of the earliest people. Like I wrote about VHS when like the when when Josh's like lunch meat zine was coming out. I kept buying them for a dollar, and I goes any other people buying them for a dollar, and I just felt I'm going to keep writing you know, for Little Heathers, because I now have a chance to give back to the community that has given so much to me, and a lot of the writers that I was very very interested in who inspired me the most as critics was Jay Hoberman, because Midnight Movies was very important to me, and within the, the print form, like a periodical form, it was Tim Lucas and Steve Bissett. Yeah because of their um, erudite analysis, which is the same as sort of like Hoberman's, uh, Hoberman's uh, t- technique as well, as like taking genre cult movies, midnight movies seriously and looking at them in a comparative way and what well, their perspectives are. As as I know we all are about, I'm going to throw in Chaz Ballon's name. Yes. To, yeah. to me, he was more of a, he had a, he had a, he had a, he had a great voice. He yep. had a very, very distinct well, voice, I'll, a flatter punk journalist voice. All of these people, I think, um, made I, this. I was in Central Jersey. This, but they made this world like of, of film critique suddenly accessible, and you were able to, like, you know, through things like Deep Red and, right. and all that other stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to back up for a second and, and provide context. Where, you know, we started talking about Red Shirt. For people who don't know, Red Shirt is a company that helps produce um, bonus material, feature stuff. For uh, uh, supplemental material for right, DVD releases. and Blu-ray re-releases. We yeah. did an episode when we talked to Mike, if you remember. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elster is awesome. So I was. This is how Heather Buckley goes to work for Red Show Pictures. I worked on a movie, Circus of the Dead, and then I worked on Sci-Fi Channel's Dead Still. I was a shop supervisor and monster in that film, and I got the monster role by saying, "Where are you going to find a six-foot tall woman? Where are your monster makeup?" Mm-hmm. Like, hi. And then I was coming off uh, Ted Gagan's We Are Still Here, and I, w- I was, what was we, we were going to Horror Hound, and I was up there with uh, Don May and Jerry from Synapse, and they go, you can't ride in the van, there's no room in the van, you're going to have to ride with Mike Felcher. And I never, I met Mike Felcher like for a second, because he was there at Monster Mania when George Romero started doing his East Coast appearances, and my writing partner, Ethan, who was funny, because Ethan said two things, you need to be friends with Mike Felcher, and you need to know who Larry Fessening is. This is reality, and now mm-hmm. look at look at where we are. Yeah, right. 
and he did that. He made me. Ethan said, "Listen to Habit." He's talking about a lot of um, a lot of things that you are interested in. You talk about with me, and like Mike Felcher is like so cool and so funny, and you would you would get along with him in his in, in his in his sense of humor. You should meet him. So that's I'm glad that Ethan's fan fiction has has come true. So um, he goes. So Don goes like, "Go with Mike's car." And and then, and it's like Mike again, funny, awesome guy. And I told him which I was which when I was hanging out and doing all the press stuff, I kept running into people who like sales agents and distributors and all these people in film and then they would find out that what my day job was and that I put together projects and I pitched to MBAs and I pitched to clients and I did agency of records and I came up with decks and I, you know, created, you know, did creative feedback cycles and cross disciplinary management and everyone was like Heather Buckley. You need to be a producer because that is incredible. That is, you should do that. And it's like I have like this job in New York, in New York City. And I was bringing it up while I was in the car with him. It's like I just got off of where we were still here, and I was going like Travis says, you know, Travis, Travis even says Travis even says like, oh, you should be a producer. And it's like whatever. And he goes Heather, and I go what? And he goes, do you want to produce the Lionsgate Saw Doc, the anniversary? Looking back on it. And I told him, it's like, well, we're friends, and I don't want to disappoint him or anything like that. So I'm going to try to do it, and if it works out well, you know, they can pay me. But like, if I don't know what I'm doing, don't, don't, you know, we'll we'll just we'll just chalk it up as something that I tried because everyone said it'd be producer. So I started doing it and like putting up a structure and reaching out. And Mike said, like Heather. I've never seen someone do this kind of producing before. And I know Travis said the same when we were still here doing shop, shop supervision where I broke it down to like scene and then what our feedback was and what is the technique to do the special effects and then, you know, what are the what are the other departments that it's intersection, how many times we can do it. And when I went to the second AD on that film is that they rescheduled the entire film to make sure that we had time for the practical special effects and we were able to do it in the day during the winter, so you have a short day, and everything everything sort of ran flawlessly from the practical effects uh, standpoint. And then I and then Mike started giving me more and more work. And then at some point, I started going like, "Hey, is I think I think the first one was the thing disc." Is that I said like, "Here is what I think should be on the thing disc," and Mike always welcome that uh, and I did that recently for Candyman and a few others I do that for uh, I do that for Kino Lober and I have to say Mike and also Frank Frank from Kino are very welcoming of like input like Frank encouraged me it's like oh we need moderation and just from a representation standpoint there I think there are very few women who like moderate commentaries right but I'm used to you know sitting with people and and you know looking for their best and looking for their philosophy and a lot of my moderation techniques is just it's sort of like an interview so the stuff that I'm doing um has a, a lot of dramatic backgrounds or they're different different um people either it's the the writer or rewriter or, or, or director and just you know you want to get their stories and their wisdom and it may, may not necessarily always be scene specific but it's uh but what we're talking about is something sort of bigger than that film it's like when you come away from that film do you understand the director and his intent and his taste more which is what my, my, my interviews are all about. They're a broader interview. I think on, on Dread Central, uh, Butane, when he was there, saw he saw me interview, and he went, I see what you're doing. Like, you're trying to come up with these broader interviews that are kind of timeless, because it's not about, like, it, they're not specific questions really related really related to the film. It's like this, this incredibly 
broad view. Also, talking to different, like, I love talking to different character actors and people, and it just... They're the best. I think I think it comes down to... It, well, first of all, I wanted to, to, you know, we all know the old joke, right? Nobody ever says, I'm just waiting the tables until I can become a producer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what it comes down to is, is uh, first and foremost, you have to be a fan. You have to be a fan. And, and that's going to take you in two different directions. You, either you're the type of person who is going to, you're a fan, and so you want to, you want to make that movie, or you want to paint that picture, or you want to, or you're a fan and you want to find out. You want to dig deep, and you want like, like you know, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, so I want to know everything about it, and I want to talk to everybody about it. And now I have a job where I do that, and that is the job. So not only I'm getting paid to do that, but now. My passion as a fan is going to drive and make me produce. The, well, I know the, the importance best. of the people I'm talking to. Like right. I know, I know who they are. Like recently interviewed for a Kino Disc Unannounced, like a very famous mechanical effects artist, and I know, I know his name. I I know everyone down the line. They're incredible value when it comes to when it when it comes to filmmaking, the the craft. And I want to know. I want to know all that. I want to bring that out into the world. I want that. Re- I want that represented. I want it on the record, the beautiful work that they do, the thinking that they do, and that's sort of my point of view on it. Like if Chainsaw Two comes up, which is, is a movie is a movie I love, it's like for for me, it's it's to it's to talk to everybody, so it's sort of there they're out there. That's that story's out there. I never I never reflect back on myself or that I'm I'm doing it for myself or because I need to know. No, no, me, but but like how the sense is that. I think everyone needs to know, like these beautiful discs that I've done. It's like everyone, like RoboCop two and three, like everyone in the world needs to know, and it needs to be documented because it's important. Like the VFX stop motion of that time period. How in, how many more times? Evangelical. I'm going to say it's more evangelical because I do have that on my Facebook page. When it comes to punk, <laughs> I use tapes. When it comes to horror, I would like try to. It's like, what is your horror movies? Watch this with me. And it's like for all these guys that down down the line. It's like there's such a super value, and I'm like a nerd when it comes to FX and VFX. It's like, oh my god, like how many people from the original ILM have we got interviews for? And to me, it's like it's like I love them so much; they mean so much to me that I, I go out there and I go like, your story is important because it is. It well, is here's, important. Here's the thing: is how many times have you watched an old an older movie or a movie that was just at a time when people weren't documenting? There wasn't a behind-the-scenes thing. Yeah, there was and, no EPK for Casablanca. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and it's a shame, you know. And so you're doing you're doing the Lord's work. I don't I don't like the idea that these that these stories die. Like I really look at it as an archivist for the Deep Rising disc. I had a, a tip from a, from an acquaintance who's a VFX archivist that like just talked to ILM and they have like all their films in their mm-hmm. library and we got 16 gigs of behind the scenes like stop motion tentacle stuff that they were trying to figure out how things are supposed to move and all this great stuff and it's like to me like that those are the holy grail that's worshipful the most worshipful piece of video that I've gotten that's amazing for people who do these early films in the 90s to have the VFX and FX guys that that put the video and they go how much do you need it's like all of it you cannot give me enough of VFX or special effects behind the scenes right it's like you have all of it 
every single second of it is important. I, uh, when I did the thing disc that Randy Cook sent me, just sort of I think like, over a minute of like him doing stop motion on the Blair monster. Right. It's like I can't believe that this exists and we have it. Right. Well, the value I see could bring me to tears. All this, all this stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, and you know, getting back to being inspired and stuff again, that stuff. If that stuff is almost more important than the movie itself. I feel that way about Star Wars, by the way. People are very obsessed with Star Wars and not very obsessed with Star Wars, but let me tell you, you could talk to me about motion control for hours. At a, at a, uh, motion uh, control takes hours, that's why. It's <laughs> true, it's true. I took a friend Kevin who worked on uh, Empire, and he's telling me about, like, rotoscoping the lightsaber and like rotoscope animated lightning it's like we could sit and talk about this forever <laughs> rotoscope lightning so I have like a small project that I would like to do is, is to go to like FX and VFX artists and talk about how they see things because you have to have a certain trained eye to create you know trying to make things look realistic how things work in the light and how your eye and how your eye is so when I'm done like world traveling with the ranger ever have a second that's sort of like a pet project that I would I would like it's like how do you do these things versus how do you how do you see so you're able so you're able to create within those those two fields like map painters and things like that. I'm gonna float an idea past you. Uh, this is yeah. this is something that I think needs to happen is um, do you remember do you remember the Discovery Channel show Movie Magic? Yes, which I love. I watch all those it's so good, right? And and you know where whenever you can you grab a new episode that you haven't seen or that hasn't been, you know, put up before. But anyway we need a new one of those with Heather Buckley. <laughs> That's yeah. what I think. Yes, I could be your ghost host. Yeah, right. Speaking of hosts, I didn't and ask I'm you who. Growing look up, at. I'm fun to look at with my outfits. So. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking. I was thinking earlier that you know you you the way you carry yourself in in in. And we talked about how like in high school, everyone you were you were alone and all that other stuff. But I think the your your you coming through the door it's like this is going to be different this is going to be exciting it's going to be um all of those things i guess i'm saying that may have worked were a negative and before uh, are now positives uh, right because well, if we want to talk about like strange girls and bullying i think the reason they do that is to take what you love away from you mm. and to me like in my old days i thought it was like I was kind of sad. It's like when I talked about horror and punk, and I was like weird and tall. Is that they were all about? They were trying to. They were trying to go like, no, that's wrong. And I took it at like at a very level. It's like you can't be that way. Don't be. Don't don't be that way. But not that they're saying. I think it, there's a, a second level as I got older. Is like I'm going to tell you not to be that way, so you could stop being that way. Mm. And I always look back, and it's like thank fucking god that I like I held fast to punk and horror. Amongst any kind of like, you're a freak, Heather Buckley. I'll go. And I'll, to this I'll, day, it's like that's why you have me here because I never let the the love go. I held on to it. I, I visualize like a stormy ship, and you're on the bow, and it's like these are the things that I love, and I stood by them and I honored them, and no one can take them from me. Mm -hmm. No one. And they tried to uh, back in the day in the nineties, but yeah. it's like I these are I and I do I think back. Well, I think I think also I I think um, I think the reason why people try to do that to um, you know the the other kids um, is I think they're scared. 
they're scared of what you well, I think they represent and, I, and go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, uh, because they can because if they can put you in the box that they want to put you in, well then now you're controlled. Now it's like, oh, okay. Now I know what your parameters are and stuff. But if you if you're living outside of that box, they don't they they can't control you. Also, they may be able to see their box, and they may make them feel very uncomfortable. Sure, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but on the other hand, I just think that there's an inherent like I remember going to goth clubs and like and like finding the same kind of bullshit that was going on, or rock clubs and the same kind of oh, social sure. order and and the and the and the um, it all becomes high school again. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, and that still happens. <laughs> <laughs> I see it like I remember our kids in PTA. I never saw that in my scene. I mean, New York City would be like CBGB's Coney Island High and stuff like that. It's like for us, the group that I hang out with, like we were all just super friends with each other. Mm. We loved it. Like to this day, like I was seeing the the Boss Tones and Sheer Terror, and my friend and I look at them sometimes. It's like I have known you for over eighteen years, going to shows, and we're so happy to see each other and hang out. And right. it's this deep connection that it's hard for me to forge with you know other. There's there's something about music counterculture people, and they are all by the way huge horror fans. And I yeah. find a lot of the the folks that work in uh, film fest world, um, great punk rock background, probably the evangelizing. And the curation. It's like if you spent your entire life making mixtapes for people. Sure. So right, right, right. Ultimate mixtapes. Absolutely. And and what's great is that your work with Red Shirt was, um, has been um, lauded. You, you've won several rondos as a result of... of Executive rondos. I was wondering if I'm the only chick to wait, win two rondos in a row. One for Army of Darkness and one for The Thing. And I was just completely honored. I'm honored because, again, like I'm doing these things because they need need, need to be done. We need to, it's like I'm given a task, it's like, yes, we need to talk about these films, we need to have, you know, all the FX boys on the commentary for uh, Demon Knight talking about every second of frame, like how you did everything, mm-hmm. like that's, the world just just needs that, and anyone would um, write nicely about it or honor me with an award, it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable to me. I'm very grateful, and being, uh, being now a feature film producer, I just think producing over and over again just makes you more more and more grateful right. for, for for everything to get to get it done because part of how you do the discs is that the people you, you're working with a very passionate crew because they're go they're running all over the place doing doing these interviews and a lot of it's a, a one man show and you're doing it all over the world so like they themselves are heroes and everyone who said yes none of these people have to say yes right. because these are for old older films and that they are so giving. And they go, I want to be on this disc. I want to tell this story. I'm showing up. And everyone always shows up like 100% to talk about, talk about the work. It's, in, it's, in, it's incredibly important. So I can't, and that's the whole thing. It's like I can set things up, but until like I have amazing crew and I have like all the, the, all the talent and crew say yes and be into it and go like this person and that person and call this person. And then people that I know that were not even um, interviewing Right, is that when I ask people who are part of the part of that that community if they can like I got to one to the to uh, one of the one of the guys for the, with the Kino disc because I asked like Steve Johnson where he was and he says I like, call up Spectrum Motion and then I call Spectrum Motion and they are very close friends with with him and then they go it's like I left a message for them like that is also that's like the secret part they don't see because if it's not a direct contact you're trying to find who's closer and you don't give up like we didn't have on on deep rising we didn't have 
Dream Quest representation. So I went on the Dream Quest fa- Facebook and I tried to get the main supervisor in charge. And the, the best thing we could do is like we got images from them. And so the images are, are cut into the VFX sequence, you know, label that they're that they're um, that courtesy, they're, courtesy um, of of them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That, uh, that that stuff is incredibly incredibly important. I'm gonna make a prediction. Yes. That uh, when we do get the uh, the Rob Botine interview after his uh, <laughs> disappearance. Um, that it's going to be through Heather Buckley. Look at that. <laughs> I, I, got, I got close to him for the thing disc. So. <laughs> what, um, what occurs to me is, the, as, as far as, the, at least for the work that you've done with, with Redshirt and Fango, that how similar you are to Heather Buckley, who was collecting scraps and putting yes. it in notebooks. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And I find that that's fascinating. Sitting with my friend, uh, my friend Melee Ariel, we talked about the ideas that her her community or some people like, see me as an as an archivist, and I go like, "Am I an archivist?" It's like you're archiving. Absolutely, it's quite different than just doing DVD supplements. Well, I remember you and I talking before about how like this is information that if I don't, I remember you saying, "If I don't get it, it's going to go away forever," and and. I really appreciated that sort of like dedication to that because I knew we were. It was the Everett McGill thing. You yeah, know, like, I have to get him. It was. It wasn't like I'd like to get him. It was like I have to get this guy. We have to get him on camera, and I think that's to be applauded. Yeah, and why you're so good at what you do. And we yes, and finally for uh, Silver Bullet, I haven't seen the, the final cut interview for it. Is that we did? I did talk to him for four hours about his entire career. Oh, yeah, that's we got cool. to about Joe Spinell. That's cool. <laughs> Moving on to the Ranger, um, tell me about how that happened. How did you? You're making these things for Red Shirt. You're doing awesome stuff. Um, does does the production come to you and say we've seen what you do? We, we want that level of of uh, anal retentiveness <laughs> to work for us. <laughs> No, that is not how it happened. Okay. Right. So, I you have to see how like everything works together in a huge in a huge mechanism of different gears. So, right. So, thirteen years in advertising, doing horror journalism on top of that, which means I'm at film fest and exposed to all these different artists and people locally in the community of New York City, New Jersey, and then also and also globally when I'm at Film Fest in Fantasia and talking to uh, talking to a lot of people. Again, as friends, as as peers, just really, really interested in what people people are doing. And then going going to work. Leaving leaving advertising, because a lot of people said like specifically John Fasano, Rock and Roll Nightmares is like Heather, you should really work in film and leave all this other stuff behind and I went okay I'm going to take I'm going to take this 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 leap and I'm going to go uh, work in film so I make I work on three features of special effects and then I go to Red Shirt and do this do this this documentary stuff so I'm like so, I'm, so there's this like this mix happening you see what happens so it's like she knows film industry people she knows local people she writes about it and she you know wants to make sure that everybody ha- has a voice and everybody everybody gets out there and then in that process and then like Ethan Halo says you need to meet Larry and I meet Larry and I meet Jen and from Glasseye Jen Wexler who would, who would be the, become the ranger the uh, director of the ranger Larry who owns Glasseye Pick so I knew Everyone is ebb and flowing, hanging out and going along. We didn't work with each other. 
So I I always love Jen Wexler, and I told Jen Wexler a couple weeks ago that one of the reasons I made her movie is because it was for her, because Jen asked me, was very passionate about this movie, and it's like I knew how to get these sort of like impossible elements together, and so I helped her make it. So originally three years ago, I was given a script by Jen, and Jen goes, will you read my script? Now, Now it takes forever for me to read scripts, and when I read the script, I went like, oh, these punk rock characters sound like my asshole friends, which is amazing to get that nuance of how punk rockers talk to each other and interact and how they're friends with each other. And, like, I could see where the audience could be, because, again, like, marketing, design, background, always interested in audience, always interested in what people say about art. I mean, that's the whole, like, critic point of view is, like, there is a certain sort of audience in there. And then what kind of music would make sense in the movie? Because I listen to a lot of um, street punk from England, which is, like, a lot of, it's, it's a lot of, like, bass and drum uh bass and drum driven unlike sort of like the thrash stuff in california and i said you know to have sort of that california tone because it's it's much more fun and energy in the and the, th- the thrash for never with bands like tsol and seven seconds and all that stuff like that and then i said here jen because i love you here are notes i love it you should make this film i'm so proud of you you're totally gonna make this film Right. And then I go back to doing my DVD supplements, right, world. But, you know, as someone who used to be a creative director, what a lot of creative directors do, it's like, you're working on this, here's some inspiration, I love your design, what about this, what about that? You know, you just, you give them stuff to inspire them because, you know, you're working, you're working long hours and I'm interested in people's process. It's like, oh, what about this and like that? Or I looked at this and this reminded me of your work. So I would go on Tumblr and I would send her pictures of like Lisa Frank stuff because the movie was going to have like this kind of like neon quality. And then I was loving uh, pictures of punk rock stuff and music. And I would just, just, just send it to her on, on occasion and sort of inspire her. And I go like, I hope you make this movie. It's going to be really cool. And then um, in my head, right, with talking to the community when I go to Film Fest, the whole producing thing, and it's like, and it's like I felt that I could pitch to an investor because I had to pitch the, the client-based agency of record stuff all the time and talk to MBAs and vertical leads, and I knew that I could put together how you pitch, and I've done so many before, how you sort of pitch and talk about creative to business people, right? And so I always wanted to, I always wanted to do that. My, my friend Kim Garland, we're on the phone. She was a local fil- uh, filmmaker. She's now in California. And she's going to like, Heather. And it's like, you know, Jen has this project. We have to raise money. Like, shouldn't we part? Because I started ca- calling, like, female filmmakers, like, we're a coven for a second. <laughs> and she was part of the coven, the, the New York City, like, filmmaker girl coven that we hang out with. And it's like, listen, like, we hang out with this, with our coven. And we have all these projects. Like, shouldn't we help each other make our projects? And it's like, well, Jen has this project. She ha- And he goes like, well, if you get permission to pitch the film, like, you know, to ask Jen, if you could pitch it, I have an investor in Canada you should pitch to. And then I asked Jen, it's like, Jen, do you mind if I pitch your movie to an investor again? Not asking to be a producer, was not a producer on the project, was just Jen's friend. And then I started pitching to the uh, to this investor. And I and I and I put up the pitch thing, which is which was brought up with like this is what glass eye is, this is what they mean in the community, this is what because um, at the, that point like Andrew Van Houten was a part of the film, it's like this is what, you know, Hood River is. Part of part of the community. This is Jen's background. This is what I think the segmentation should be, the type of audience, and this is why that I feel that this movie will do very well in a film fest run and in the community because it because it plays to the base. And of course, like, well, why would she know this? Well, she she herself is a fan. She herself has incredible you know social media reach and talks to fans all the time and goes to like conventions and literally interviews like hundreds of people that make that make movies. And so I had a 
I had a, a, a good insight in kind of how I saw the film and how it, how it would exist uh, to civilian audiences, horror audiences. I felt it was something places-based. And then Jen goes, like, Heather Buckley. And I go, what? And she said, will you be my co-producer? And at some point between, like, co-producer and producer of the film, because I'm actually the one who uh, pitched to Andrew first, and then Andrew saw us at Fantasia, and then Andrew called me up and go, we're making this movie, and then we go, we go to make this movie. And because, like, I'm a kind of, like, freelance bio-exorcist is that Larry takes me under his wing. So I become, you know, producer under, under, the, under Glass Eye World USA as a creative producer, coordinating producer, producer that, you know, locks locations and animals and cars and, you know, wears the suicidal tendencies hat on set every day. So that's how that happened. It happened just because I was just helping out. I mean, it could just be, say, like, I was just archiving stuff when I was a young kid. I was just listening to punk rock music. And then it's like, here you go. It's like, you know, I want to I wanna help you with your dreams. And that's a lot of stuff we said during the Fantasia stuff. It's like, this is Jen's dream. She's like, it's 10 years in the making, and she's ready to make this film. And I was just, and we did it. But that's how I became producer on it. And also, I do the marketing for it because of my marketing background. Because I do my own, you know, social media outreach on, on my own to talk to fans and people and artists because it's, it's incredibly fulfilling for me to do. And just the idea to take that Carnival Barker aspect of my personality and figure out like what is the uh, strategy for all the all the, the social media channels and then mostly run uh, Twitter the Twitter account which is ridiculous and silly is just what I wanted 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 to do because I was curious about how that would work because a lot of the training that I have in advertising like the cross display management a lot of that it's like it's like a back and forth between so many things that are working together Mm-hmm. I can visually see it. So it's like it's these different sections of gears that happen to appear to all work together, and this like wax on wax off approach of like this is what you do in advertising, this is what you do in film, this is what you you know it's 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 like a back and forth between a lot of the a lot of my training and experience to do what I did on the Ranger. Also, as I stood by genre and horror when I was a young girl, I also thought for the Ranger. Thank God I made that decision when I was 13 years old when I listened to Sex Pistols to go like this is who this is what I am and be a part of that community which is a beautiful community that as soon as you ask for like hey we need music they go like here's some music right right, right. show up to, to like Don Pedro Punk Club they will show up your friends will show up and be there for 12 hours and it's just this this, this wonderful like that they're there for you Heather, and you're for them Heather yeah? what what was the budget on the Ranger you don't ask a girl. His, uh, you don't ask a girl his her weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, All I can say is that we pulled in. We pulled in a lot of favors. We pulled in a lot of favors. Cool. To get well, to get it, to get it done. Okay. Good. Well, well, and that's what I'm. I guess that's what I'm getting to is that. Uh, I can say that I'm an executive producer on it because I had to, I had to close the one of the people who closed the funding on it. Mm. Nice. I mean, Yes. So, and that made me feel good. I hope if I ever become, I guess, an, I, yes. guess I guess the more important question, what what I'm getting at is, has where is it at right now? Is it is it still in the festival circuit? Is it? It, it is. It is in the festival circuit. It's going to end soon. We do have um, distribution, and uh, but I just tell people because all this is very like the signing forms, the hush-hush, not putting things in PR or PAR releases. My answer to everything is that the budget of the film was like, we pulled a lot of favors. 
uh, and a lot of witchcraft was done to get the movie made, and then it's going to just go come out on Laserdisc. That's what I just tell everybody on... on, on <laughs> so watch out for the Laserdisc nice. of the Ranger. But as soon as it happens, Joe, we'll all, we'll all come back and tell you about it. But there are, there are plans for different aspects of the film, how it's going to exist in the world. But like much like... And this is not because it's like, oh, in this in, in, in the industry shit. It's just, it's a fucking surprise. Like, I never tell people what titles I'm working on because it's like, it should be this amazing, people should lose their mind. It's like, what is Heather Buckley working on? Like, I could talk about right now, which was a, which is a, which is a special feature on Candyman that's not announced. And, like, people will lose their mind. But it's better, like, if they announce it because then people are just going to, like, oh, my God, or any, or any discs that I, that I, that I work on. Yeah. Because it's a surprise when it's all done and it's all ready and you see everything. And so people are like waiting. It's like, Heather, when is it coming on SVOD? When is it coming on physical media? And it's like, one, it's only coming out on Laserdisc. But when all that stuff is sorted out, it's like there's going to be a beautiful press release and it'll it'll excite people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell them right now. I don't want to ruin the surprise. Right, right, exactly. Sure, sure, How, sure. how uh, validating was the film's reception at different festivals? Because everyone seems to love it. It it it, it gained momentum out of uh, South by Southwest. I think that the Cretans, which are myself on the East Coast, like Philadelphia, Boston, New York City, really really loved it because the type of humor in the film is like an East Coast ball busting sense of humor. Mm-hmm. That uh, so so even if your characters are assholes, they're still lovable assholes. That still holds free on the East Coast. I think when people saw the humor. And that it's not Maniac Cop, because it's like, why would you want to be like Maniac Cop is me? I love that film. Like you don't yeah. want to be like you leave that film alone. So Jen's point of view is sort of like following the final girl, you know, looking at looking at her story, and then you know it 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 evolves into a slasher film. So it's um it's its structure is unusual and different, and for people to really sort of start falling in love with that and falling in love with the characters and and and, and the sound. So I think that. It, it gained momentum, and those are sort of like the touch points of what people really liked about it. Mm-hmm. They liked about it that it was new. They liked about it that it didn't follow the the, the, the the formula of slasher films. And I love slasher films. Jen loves a lot of the 90s ones. I, of course, love Friday 13 Part 7 and stuff like that. Right. right. Let me, and, let me yeah, I, I want to ask you a question uh, 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 about something visual uh, pertaining to the film. Um, and 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 I don't want to talk about specifics because I don't want to give anything away or anything like that. However, um, the the uh, the beginning scene of the movie um, when we when we get into the cabin, um, I see I see a Wes Anderson aesthetic. Was that intentional? Do you know? Into into his cabin or yeah. into his cabin. The the um, we're 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 sitting after the event. You know, I'm uh, has happened, and uh, the cops oh, are starting to. That way. All right, this is the, the a lot of the aesthetic choices in and in, in, in the film. And imagine if we have a physical release, what the extras would look like, considering my day job. But anyway, right. so a lot of the. The way the punk rockers look are iconic, right? All my friends kind of look the same. We all wear black, and we all, and we all, all wear studs or, or whatever. Right. And we all sort of listen to the same music. But in, like, cinema land, you find, like, all the iconic punk looks, and they all hang out together. 
And then they're in, like, a Scooby-Doo van, which is iconic. And then they're in the creepy Evil Dead cabin. That's iconic. So part of the iconic aesthetic of the ranger's house is kind of like that square, red and stimpy, 50s sort of look. So if you were getting um, Wes Anderson vibes, it could be because that was the stylistic choice of having it feel sort of like a 50s vintage sort of place stuck in time. That's also why he's listening to... Like, his music is country music, and their music is punk, and then there's, like, the horror music, which is the synth music, that kind of wraps it all up. He's listening to Charlie Rich. Yeah. Yeah. The Silver Fox. (laughs) That is because Jeremy, who plays the Ranger, kept singing it on set, and they decided to loop his singing in, and that's that's how that magic happened. That was (laughs) nice. Nice. And we had to, like... And it it informs the character. Was that, was that the only licensing you had to do? Uh, well, no, all the all the songs are licensed. Okay, I mean, okay. uh, I mean, from from so so all the I songs. Don't, I don't mean the synth stuff, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a big from a big uh like like corporate like a corporate that's the the one song that came from corporate pretty much. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Where where did you find the main actress? Or where There's did Jen? Transfiguration, which is pretty cool that I love, and Chloe and Jen were both at South by Southwest, and then Chloe Levine, who plays the lead, plays the lead in Transfiguration, really wanted that role when she heard about it from Jen to play Chelsea and the Ranger, and we had we looked at a lot of uh, actors for all parts, and it's just she had this of uh, this sort of depth and emotive quality, mm-hmm. and if you notice in the film. Those with colored hair, that is not a wig. Yeah. A wig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also curious, uh, you, when when I first saw footage of the film, uh, it was the trailer. And uh, you got Ed Kurtz to do that. You mean our buddy Ed Kurtz? That's our, so I was on, that, as I've always loved <laughs> part of the bonus material podcast, I got to meet noir writer and horror fan Ed Kurtz. Of which I have told him that I will option all his his, his his books and make all his movies because he's so fucking cool. And Jen wanted someone to do like a like a like a 1950s kind of voiceover, and it, and she goes like because people ask me for crazy shit and I have it at the ready. It's like I, I it's like I need animal wrangling. It's like here they are in three days. So I go like Ed Church, and so he, I, there's a video on YouTube of him reading. Yeah, and I said Jen. This is who should do the voiceover, and he d- and he did the voiceover. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Ed, Ed has one of those voices that just like man, as Ed says, the voice but that makes you moist. Material, yes, but if not for the bonus material podcast, that Look would never make it connected. That's what I mean. It's just like you walk the path. That's how you make the path. Is that you walk the path of anything that could be said about about my life or on my epitaph would be that. It's like you collected things as a child. You will then go to archive film. That'll you manage cross-disciplinary things, and you're a horror fan. You will go on to produce horror movies. That'll be the bio. Walk, walk the path. The walk. Heather Buckley story. <laughs> yeah, you gotta walk the path, and then you, then you don't know. So, Ertz has been great. He's working on a secret project for the film. That I don't know if he told you about. No. And like all super secrets, we will we will talk offline. Like I will answer all questions. <laughs> nice, very Stop. cool. Stop. Some stuff is movie magic mysteries. 
<laughs> Pay no attention to the punk rocker behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. It's the way the things are made, how the sausage is made, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. You don't All that know. crying and neurosis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, just like when people ask me about my my background, it's like we should just know that I was like a like a tough kid. And it was like, fuck you, I listen to punk rock music, and then like I like would ride to school in my Harley. So we should just think about like the fanfic, and like the like we had all the money in the world to make Ranger, and you know. Yeah, well, abs- yeah. no, I. I get it. I get it. It's the same reason I, you know, I am very honest. And I was like, hi, everybody. I listen to Yacht Rock and <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Loggins. And, uh, yeah. Kenny Loggins yeah. is misunderstood. Um, <laughs> is there anything you can talk about in these last few minutes about what you're working on now? I know most of what you do you like to keep secret. I do for the fans. So there's so there's a genre kino release that I'm working on that I'm trying to get the commentary ready for. That's pretty cool, especially who's doing the fucking liner notes for it. I just uh, finished up Candyman, and there's an, there's a bonus feature on there that is not announced. That is like a fucking miracle. I know that and Michael's really excited about it. Yes. Yeah. No, it was so, it was so, it was so cool, and uh, I'm gonna be producing. The Spike Lee segments for Kino. Hmm. So I have to reach, I have to reach out to him. I've been travel. I've been traveling a lot. So that's something that's on my radar for DVD Supplement Land USA. And then I created a slate of films with Corey Astra for Let Me Make You a Martyr, the director. Mm-hmm. And I, those are at different agencies and just collecting again like art collecting people collecting people's work and trying to get these stories out into the world because I am I am nothing without these things and so that is why I deem them important and then we need to put them out in the world help Heather fill her notebooks that's art, right exactly art, art helped me and so to play it forward it's just art and storytelling and just you know people's stories I just want to put back into the world again. You rock. Nice. We love you. Thank love you. you. It's been so awesome having you. It it feels like if I, I can't believe it that sounds was dumb to say, but it feels it feels like the old days. Yeah. <laughs> now you're trying. Time. I mean, I'm going to all these uh, all these uh, film fests. We could do it again. We could do it again soon. Awesome. When the, well, when the release comes out. Hopefully we run into you at one of these yeah. laser shows. Release, yes, when the laser disc release comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Exciting. we're going to go. We're going to do this and then something else. And it's so great when you it's someone that you know and yeah. that you you go in already in a bag for. Yeah. And you want to see that, that everything is gonna that succeed. And, and you don't have to do that whole dance of like, yeah. you know, who yeah. are you? The trust is already there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. Uh let's see. So moving on to second hour stuff, there's a lot of people who died. 
people who died, people sure. who died. But let's start with Chaz Hodges. He was in a band that I guess was iconic in Britain called Chaz and Dave. I Never heard of him. And familiar with Chaz but and I, Dave. But on my Facebook page, all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, Chaz Hodges well, it's died. it's kind of like when that lady died in Australia. It was like, they <laughs> like, were like, uh, Who knew? Australians were like, oh, shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, Roger Mainwood, animator, did the uh, he worked on heavy metal, and he worked on a film called Ethel and Ernest. Yeah. 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 Gary Kurtz, producer of Star Wars wow. and a bunch of other stuff. He of the distinctive weird. Beard. Yeah, he had that weird. He had a beard Amish type beard. Yeah. But he didn't have a mustache. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really odd. That was uh, that was always my trademark. Like if I saw that, I go, oh, that's Gary that's Curry. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Paul Velasquez, he was an actor on Sons of Anarchy, and, and he was in Ghost Rider. Mm. Young guy. Uh, Norm Brayfogle, artist n known mostly for Batman. Okay. When you think of, usually when you think of comic Batman, you think of a couple of them. Right. And one of them is Norm Brayfogle. Is Bob, Bob Kane's not still around. No, so you're no, gonna, no, he's long gone. Uh, this one, again, small things that are important. Virginia Ramos. Um, known as the San Francisco Tamale Lady, world famous apparently. Wow! <laughs> she just she sold tamales out of a restaurant and became they were so good that people, huh? You know, and became sort of a San Francisco staple. Sure. Speaking of San, Fr San Francisco staples, Marty Ballin, lead singer and one of the songwriters for Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship. Right. Yeah. Um. Great voice. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was yeah, not yeah. a big airplane starship guy. Sure. But... But you could recognize... But you can recognize... Yeah. Uh, what is it? Miracles, I think, that he sings on? Is that uh, him? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, Roger Robinson. He was a 2009 Tony Award winning actor. He worked on Joe Turner's Come and Gone, and he was in, a, I guess, a Kojak episode. Huh. Uh, and this one really bummed me out. Um, this isn't someone who died, um, but Glenn Fabry, the artist, painter, illustrator, right. uh, announced on his Facebook and social media that uh, he has lung cancer. Wow. And he's he's planning to document his journey yeah, through all that. Yeah, I saw that. that. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think is, is amazing. I don't Courageous. know that I would do that. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know that I wouldn't just go, oh, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I've got this other thing. Yeah. But, so, yeah. Uh, moving on to news. Uh, trouble at the Bachelor franchise. I know you're uh, a big uh, viewer. Uh, <laughs> You'll see why I'm bringing this up. Um, in both Vietnam and Australia, female contestants have just said, you know what, to the Bachelor, no thanks, and left together. <laughs> Like, they've just decided, you're such a douchebag that I'm just going to go and, you know, they, they meet this woman, and a woman, a fellow contestant, and fall yeah. in love. And I think that's <laughs> awesome. Um, Halle Berry is directing her first film. It's an MMA flick, because when you think of MMA, <laughs> you think of Halle Berry. Yeah. I'm Good for her that she's making her own film, but right. really? Uh, weird. Okay. Cool. It's, it's so bizarre. It, it'll, you know what? It'll probably be amazing because it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it's one of those. 
this is one of those things, and the uh, the bachelor stories. When I see these things coming around on my thing, I, I grab them not because they're noteworthy, I guess, but because it's like this is funny. There's yes. the element of there's this a, is, there's this a what is the fuck so element. bizarre in here. <laughs> um, Sirius XM bought Pandora for three point five billion. Yeah, and I listened to both of those, um, and uh, I've only heard it referenced once. Uh, uh, Eddie Trunk was talking about. Um, he, he, you know, he works for SiriusXM, and he didn't even know that, you know, like yeah. he he learned about it the same way that we did, you know, on, the news. online. Yeah, yeah, weird, right? Um, yeah, weird. I I don't um, I don't have a lot of streaming services for different things. Um, I used to use Spotify like a long time mm-hmm. ago, but then it got weird, and I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm non technology, yeah. so I'm just like I like I don't get it, um, but. Uh, I, I guess cool. You yeah, know? cool. I, I mean, yeah. it gives money. Pandora. Hopefully, it'll mean that they'll they'll figure out their pricing and all yeah. that other stuff. I don't know. I pay for. Um, I still refer to it as Rhapsody, but it's now Napster, and it's just a fifteen buck a month, and right. I can stream whatever I want. For me, I love it. All that stuff because I get I get new releases like every week. I've got a new release playlist right now that is fucking dozens of records deep. So. Uh, and you're going to hear about some of them in a minute. Um, the Jared Leto, Margot Robbie, Joker, Harley film, the writer was interviewed and he said, he described it, it will be about, quote, criminal couples counseling and <laughs> and a rom-com. <laughs> okay, right? sure. Yeah. Because yeah. that makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh. All right. Uh, Tommy Wiseau released The Room in its entirety onto YouTube. Yeah. So there's no excuses now. Now, why not you haven't see seen this movie, other than, like, you don't want to sit through it. Right. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also released a thing where it's Tommy Wiseau and the one of the guys in the room. They reenact the Batman Joker interrogation. He's done a couple of yeah. things where he he's it, it's like he's lobbying to play the, the Joker, Joker, which is really which weird. Is ridiculous. Um, Kingsman 3 is coming, apparently, and soon, like December. Something weird. Like, they were gonna, they're popping out another one, like, right quick. I never saw the second one. I didn't either. I, I enjoyed the I first saw, one. I've seen scenes, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yep, that's a Kingsman movie. Yeah. So, uh, Zoe Kravitz was cast in Disney streamings. They're doing a TV series based on the film High Fidelity. Which I used to call Tower Records when well, I worked there. I remember, I, like uh, uh, months ago, um, news of this coming out, and it was basically the idea was kind of like it's uh, it's uh, it's high fidelity, but a girl. Right. And I'm uh, gonna bet something like his daughter or something. Yeah, he has I, a daughter, and he gives her the store. Yeah, I don't know. Burda, burda, burda. I, yeah. But uh, I love that film. Um, High Fidelity is fun. I if you want to know Tom in the '80s, Jack Black. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I I walked away from people because they gave the wrong answer to <laughs> what are you listening to right now? Right. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I love the idea, and I love the idea of that being be, being back in our parlance. The idea of like the top five. I think those are always fun. Yeah. Uh, it, speaking of which, um, I don't know if you haven't listened or not, but uh, 
Cameron Crowe's um, Almost Famous. Mm, I don't, but good. Just, yeah, just, yeah, got, yeah. just got, uh, it's being turned into a, uh, a musical. Yes. Everything seems to be being yeah, turned right? into a musical now. And I was just wondering, it's like, well, you know, I mean, are you going to license, like, you know, Tiny Dancer? Because that's like a big moment in the film, right? It's like, you Probably. know. Probably. And, speaking uh, of which, there's a, they just released a picture, and speaking of Kingsman, they just released a photo of Darren Egerton as Elton John in a Golame jacket, running shorts, shoes with wings on them, and these big glasses. And it, you look at it, you go, ooh, I don't know. I don't right. know if this is going to really work. Maybe. Maybe. Might. I, you know... Uh, we were doubtful when we first saw Rami Malek, you know, or whatever, as, as Joaquin uh, Phoenix's Jack, uh, Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Uh, there's a huge 22-disc, 50-hour box set coming out called Robin Williams' Comic Genius. It will feature all five of his HBO specials, various talk show appearances, and a ton of behind-the-scenes stuff. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the Gary Shanling thing that HBO is doing, but I hear that it's really good mm. as well. MST3K will debut their new season of the, the redo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fittingly is, uh, on... Uh, season three? Season yeah. two. Season two. Uh, they're premiering on Netflix on Thanksgiving. Okay. For the Turkey Day. Sure, sure. They've been sure. doing that forever as well. Uh, according to an article I read, Netflix and Amazon are set to, to double their output in the next year. That's insane. It's insane. I, I, I think it's shooting yourself in the foot. It's like the Star Wars thing. It's like there, there comes a point when... Uh, no matter how much you are on board, it's too much. It's well, too much. It, look at me. I love one of my favorite books of all time uh, is the Shirley Jackson Honey uh, of Hill House. Right. Uh, I love the Weiss, the the Robert Weiss film. This I look at this thing now, and there's so much on my plate already that you're. And now I look at it and I say it's ten hours, and I now I got to watch that. I mean, I, 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 I my my takeaway has to be that. Uh, there's either a lot of extra money out there, or shit's a lot cheaper to shoot now. Because or, like, how are, how do you how do you produce this much shit? I just imagine a line of people, and they walk into a room and they pitch, and there's a guy a thi a, a doll that just nods. Yeah, like one of those bird things, and just nods and and acts like uh, uh, yeah, it's all good. So yeah, I don't know. Um, it just, you know, I mean, it drives me nuts because I'm I'm all the time looking for things to, to watch on either Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, and uh, I have to I have to dig. It's like it's it, mm -hmm. it, because their algorithms don't work, and and also there's they're they're greenlining a lot of stuff that isn't landing on both feet. There yeah. there's a lot of misfires there and. But it's it's too much stuff. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I hopefully that they'll they'll it'll some of it will be good. Yeah. If you well, I guess if you throw enough, you know, <laughs> if you throw enough mud at the wall, some of it's going to stick. Uh, James Lipton has retired from inside the actor's yeah. studio. Yeah, yeah, see yeah. That. I don't know if they're going to continue to do it and give it to someone else. I don't know. I don't know. It was it was a good series. It was like, a good I, series. Yeah. And, and, and just the fact that I said it was a good series yeah, shows that maybe. I haven't been watching yeah, it. Been yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, this is weird. 
but not so weird. Mel Gibson signed to do The Wild Bunch, a remake of The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Uh, I think the sensibility is there. I think that it's... I guess Mel's he, officially out of Hollywood jail now. Yeah. And he gets to he gets to do this. He, he I mean, we've talked about it before, you know, regardless of what you think about him. He's a good filmmaker. He's a good filmmaker. And The Wild Bunch is a great film. Yeah. I don't know that it needs to be remade. It doesn't. How about Shootout or, or The Crazy Group or something? Call yeah, it something yeah. else. Do something else. Yeah. But you can even call it, do something else, call it something else, and, and say, based on The Wild Bunch. Right, but, exactly. I don't know. Uh, remember when we talked about, I think it was last week, then on this book, Batman Damned, there's a s- shot of Bruce Wayne coming out of the shower, and you could see his dick? Yeah. Okay, so now DC, in reaction to the people clutching their Freaking pearls, out, yeah. have decided that subsequent prints, like second printing of the book, that they're going to obfuscate all that. Guaranteeing that that first initial yeah. print is like, the, I'm sure already the prices have gone yeah, through the yeah, roof. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's just dumb. It's stupid. Yeah, I, it's I just think, in general, just it's like, just kind of grow up. You know what yeah. I mean? So anyway, if people wouldn't have freaked out about it, nope, it, it would have been no big deal, and it would have been, yeah, it would have been a a, a a a trivia question. Yeah, it would have been yeah. like, oh look, like any rational person would go, yeah, this guy's coming out of the shower, and we're not zoomed in on his yeah, dick no, or no, whatever no. else. Yeah. <sighs> wait, anyway. wait, what? Bruce Wayne has a has dick. A dick? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of stupid. Apple Streaming has kind of been talking about their new content, and it seems like an unspoken, um, uh, not rule there, but we're going to call it a guideline. No violence, no sex. No sales. <laughs> I, I didn't even know Apple had a streaming service. What the hell? I know. Well, they're, they're doing it now. They're coming up. They're, they're starting to, like, everybody else, they're... They're I still don't understand what the hell Bombard. Apple TV is. Like I don't, yeah, I don't get just, it. It's a, it's like Roku, for one of the better words. Vincent D'Onofrio is returning to Daredevil in season three as the Kingpin because that, of course, cool. He was good in that. Uh, speaking of streaming services, Sam Raimi and his, Sam Raimi is producing a series called Fifty Shades of Fear for something called New TV. <laughs> Whatever that is, like, how is it really that lucrative? Is there so I mean, it, much it money must out there? Be. I like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's lucrative or if it's just like everybody's like, we got to get in on this, you know, yeah. thing, and and like everything else that you know they'll, you know, there'll be some shifting and some folks will fall through the cracks and other ones won't, you know. Or they'll get their they'll get their. Subscription, it's yeah, like, and all that shit, all that streaming stuff. I think is like gym memberships. Like you have it, yeah. and you stop thinking about yeah, it, and you yeah, stop yeah. using it, yeah. and then happened yeah. to me. I paid for Netflix discs for a year at least. Like I had discs that were like you know had arrived at my house eight nine months ago. Right, crazy. Yeah. Um, Andrew Lincoln said you know said in an interview that he may be leaving The Walking Dead as an actor, but he might return in the future as a director. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. I guess. I, I guess. Who does this, he play? Um, 
the, the main guy. Oh, Rick. Rick. Rick, yeah. The main guy. Yeah. Uh, but they do say, in another article I read, they talked about how from here on in, there's a time jump now. Ever since the whole Negan thing, there's a time jump now. And they're, they're describing it as cowboys and zombies. So like what? gas has run out. They're, this is they're well on. They're saying it's like a year or two or three down the road. Right. So now now we're having to contend with not only zombies, but now all the stuff that we were kind of taking advantage of that was still around. Yeah, it's getting away. picked clean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Busan is being remade by James Wan and Gary Doberman. Dumb, dumb, yeah. dumb, dumb. Yeah. You know what I say to people about that? Learn to read. Because yeah. here's a subtitle movie that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Hey, um, nothing wrong with it. This 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 is gonna hurt. I'm gonna warn you on this one. Okay. Uh Don Kirshner's rock concert is forty five years old. God damn. <laughs> man, I, I read to, that the I other love day. Don Kirshner's rock concert. Man. Yeah, I read that the other day and I was just like, oh wow. I remember I remember there was like I you know, you either watch Don Kirshner's rock concert or you watch the Midnight Special. Yeah. You know, it was like yeah. you kind of went back and forth. It depended who was on. Yeah. Like, you would go, ooh, it's player. Somehow, I don't know why, but somehow <laughs> Don Kirshner wasn't as cool. As Wolfman Jack? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know why. I, but 50 but, points to the person who just caught the player joke I just dropped. <laughs> uh, the Gambit movie that they announced with, I guess, Channing Tatum, I guess that's finally got enough steam that people are talking uh-huh. about it. It's going to be a chuckle fest. It's going to be a romantic comedy. <laughs> That's what they say. And I don't see that at all. How does that happen? I don't know. Well, I don't well know Channing Tatum may be... Ju- he's a gambler dude. Mutant. Right, right. Throws electric like cards. cards and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Production released a photo today, uh, this last week, of Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Uh, awesome. Looks great. Yeah, it, awesome. You know, that would be, what a cool package that would be, like, to get the Mr. Rogers documentary and this movie, like, look at you. packaged together. Yeah, yeah, look at you. Walmart. <laughs> get on that. <laughs> get on that. Uh, this is another one that is going to uh, make you feel a little old. Richard and Wendy Pinney, ElfQuest. Yeah. ElfQuest is ending. Yeah. They're well, no I, one else. To be on, okay. To be honest, I thought it ElfQuest was one of those things that it's like you know, oh, they're still alive. I didn't know ElfQuest yeah. was still being done. Um, ElfQuest was a big it was deal. A big deal. It was a big deal. Um, I'm shocked that I've never seen a successful cinematic version of it or an animated version I wonder of it. if anybody's even Dave Sims Cerebus why is, has that never been made right you know right he's probably working at Trader Joe's that guy yeah yeah <laughs> Man, oh, dude yeah ElfQuest was uh, it was big it was big and and um you know and also, now whenever I go and I try to like you know every, you know I'll get a nostalgic you know bug and I'll be like ElfQuest all I can find is like these black and white because uh, uh, it was a color comic yeah and all I can find are these black and white reproductions that have been slammed together in like these two big volumes right um, they were it was important too because it was like a, a lot it had a huge um, female audience the females were very important in, in those stories very ma- the, the story was very matriarchal yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So. 
Uh, this blew me away. HBO has dropped boxing from their schedule. Yeah. I, well. That blew me away. I, I, I thought that was just one of those things that they just said, well, we bit... We signed on early on, and we're just... It's like them and Bryant Gubble, right? Right. <laughs> we, just, we didn't have them on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, they announced Bruce Dern is replacing Burt Reynolds in Quentin Tarantino's movie. As, yeah. I guess, a famous actor dude. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I didn't. I never knew who Burt Reynolds was going to play. But, I, you know, um, Bruce Dern, love him. Um, uh, solid great. actor. Yeah. So, yeah. I was surprised. I heard him on Gilbert Show, and he talked. He he doesn't do drugs. Wait, really? You mean ever like anymore? Like ever? Uh, like, no, he's never so done drugs. So he was drugs. just a nut yeah, back in the. Nut, yeah. <laughs> Neil Marshall's Hellboy has been delayed by three months to April twelfth, twenty nineteen. Okay. Which I'm fine with because it's like my birthday's the next day, so it's like yay <laughs> birthday. I'm gonna go to the movie. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know shit about the film. I don't think anybody does. Yeah, that, there's that one vague photo of Dave Harbour, and right. that was about it. Gal Gadot was cast in this uh, follow-up to Murder on the Orient Express, um, Death on the Nile. Yeah, that's cool. I'm Who's sure we're gonna. That's just the first of many because there's a lot. It's yeah. like Agatha Christie, so there's a bunch of people. I know. I I was surprised because when I went and saw it, um, I went in the afternoon mm-hmm. at an art house yeah. cinema, and it was packed. It was packed with old... Pe- I was probably like the youngest person yeah. there, and I'm 52. I uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It was, good. Fine. It yeah. was perfectly fun. Yeah. Uh, DC Streaming, we talked about DC Streaming um, and their Swamp Thing thing. Yeah, yeah. Serious, they, they cast Jennifer Beale as a some scientist. Okay. Uh, this is weird, but it's real. So, Adam McKay, he's a director... Um, known mostly for comedies, uh, is doing a film based on the life of Dick Cheney, now called Vice, starring Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. He's put on a ton of weight. Wow. And, you know, shaved his head so yeah. that he's bald. Amy Adams, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, and Tyler Perry. Now, my question Weird. is... Weird. My question is, based on It's the Life of Dick Cheney, Who's Tyler Perry playing? Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> Insert rim shot. That's funny. That's I just I is Dick Cheney that Medea interesting? And Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I it's called it's, Vice, so I'm wondering if it's not flattering. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but and then. Finally, before we move on to trailers... I mean, other than him shooting somebody on a hunting trip... Yeah, oh, like, but I think it's going to be a lot of, like... Just being a dick. Just a tale of corruption. It's they called just, vice. Yeah, they so. just call it Dick the Dick. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Dick. <laughs> uh, Fox did a bunch of reshuffling for anyone who... Movie shuffling, whoever, if, if anyone cares. X-Men Dark Phoenix, which we're going to talk about in a second, moved from February 14th, 2019 to June. Gambit, that we previously discussed, May 13th, 2020. So this is like a year and a half away. Yeah. Um, Alita, Battle Angel, they've moved from December 21st, 2018 to the uh, February 14th spot that X-Men had. Yeah. Which leaves the twelve twenty one spot open, 
and they're going to release this, all they called it was an untitled Deadpool project, which everyone got, they made a, no, they're going to, it's a PG-13 cut of Deadpool 2. Oh, okay. Which, to that, I go, fuck off. That's stupid. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> Moving on to trailers. Uh, first one, 55 Steps, directed by Billy August, who directed Pell the Conqueror. Um, Elena Bonham Carter, Hilary Swank. It's about a lawyer who defends a mentally impaired woman. Looks great. Um, Oscar-worthy performances, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, I think, based on a true story. Yeah. Um, She's fighting for her right to... Refuse uh, a particular type of medication. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I guess, at that time, you couldn't do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it it does look good. Yeah. Everyone's solid. Hillary Swank's kind of doing Hillary Swank. This is yeah. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, show. sure, yeah, this yeah, is her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now up next, a film called Abracadabra. Um, it's directed by Luciano and Nicholas Onetti, who did Francesca and Deep Sleep. Yeah, this looks so fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, all of their stuff does. Here's the thing: is that. A lot of times, whenever somebody is trying to mimic filmmaking of a certain time period, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of winking going on. Mm -mm. Dude, this looks like a movie that was... It, this looks like an Italian horror film that was made in the 70s. I mean, we have... The camera movements are the same. Mm -hmm. the it film keeps racking zoom in and out and in and out. This looks so fucking cool. Uh, I, there are other films are like that as well. Not a hundred percent sure what's going on. I have no on. idea what's oh, the, going on. Well, I know yeah, it's got something to do with a magician, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm not watching it for that. No, no, that. it reminded me a lot of the films of the couple that did a mare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but even more so, yeah. like it's it's clearly shot on the cheap almost, but it it looks cool. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I like. I like because I feel like you got to spend. Here's the the ironic thing is like I think in order to achieve that you gotta spend money mm. to, to to because you have to do everybody's makeup has to be a certain way yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, you know and these guys are fascinating I'm d I've never seen any of their films I'm dying to I want to see this one so bad uh, next up the film we talked about earlier called Border uh, boom where do you start again wow. it's, okay. it's it's by the guy who did Let, Let the, the Right, right One In. in. Um, and it's it's. I know, right? Okay, right. It's about it's a girl who has some type of a chromosome. It looks like almost mongoloidism. Yeah, it's, it's if that's it's, even a word right way. I don't and it's offensive. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, uh, but well, I she's mean, very different. She looks almost like uh, out of like a like an extra on Quest for Fire. Yeah, heavy yeah, brow heavy ridge. Brow, yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, and 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 she's being treated, you know, a certain way mm -hmm. uh, uh, by society and people in general. And she meets a guy who has the same. And she works at like TSA. Yeah, she's like a yeah, she's a like guard. a security person. Right, right. And she meets a guy who has the same uh, condition. Mm -hmm. And and uh, apparently they fall in love. That it's like yeah. it's like I'm in. Oh my god, you know, it's like we've found each. But then there's something else going on too. There's like there's some 
conspiracy or mm-hmm. some. You know, he's who telling are her, they? Yeah, exactly. And what is their relationship to each other? And right, and yeah. and there's other, you know, because like she's talking to somebody and she's like, "You've lied to me all my." This looks like it looks um, like her father or something. Right. This looks amazing. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, this I'm looks super so in. badass. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, the, if you're on my site, go to the bottom of there's a link to all of the all of these trailers. Up next, um, this one surprised me. Creed two. Um, directed by Stephen Cuddell Jr., who did a film called Rapture and another one called The Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it surprised me because I didn't think I gave a shit. And now, suddenly, I'm watching this trailer and I give a shit, like, like in a big way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, it's, it's, so basically, uh, you know, as we learned in, in Creed, mm-hmm. yeah, it, 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 Rocky is training Apollo Creed's son. Yeah. Adonis, I think his name is. And in this movie, he's going to fight the son of Drago. Ivan Drago, yeah. yeah. While, while Stallone has been training Creed's son, Drago has been training his own son. Right. And filling him with all this hate for the American that beat him. Yeah. And the idea that Drago killed Carl Weathers in the Rocco... So now, right. boom. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. I cool. wasn't because I was like, really? What are you going to do with this? And then I, then as soon as I saw the trailer and I was like, I see the return of, of Dolph Lundgren, you're like, all right. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up next, uh, directors Justin P. Lang and Clemens Huffnagel bring a film called The Dark. Uh, an undead girl befriends a blind boy is what IMDb said. Um it, was this the one where they're like out in the woods? Yes, yeah. and she's got there's something there's something wrong with one of their eyes, and the other one is is somehow maimed. It's a it's in a post I think it's post apocalyptic. Very weird. It's it was one of the there was a shit ton of horror films this time, and this was one of the only horrorish films that made the cut. Yeah, I threw out like ten, twenty horror films this mm-hmm. week. It was just horrible. They were all dumb. Um, this looks the fact that it's not ringing any big bells with you may may say something, but I think it's it's interesting. It looks interesting. Check out the trailer and, and make your own. I am opinions. I am most excited about it because of the reviews. Yeah, um, you know people are saying you know like this reminds them of Del Toro at his best. Now I didn't see that in the trailer, mm-hmm. so uh, but I'm interested because. It basically, it seems like that this 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 kid befriends this other kid, and the other kid might be dangerous. Like right. the other kid might be a killer or a monster. Something. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very almost kind of ill-fated lovers. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. Of a thing. Next up, something called In Control about a um, like a VR game. It's Reminded me of Flatliners. Yeah, somehow, basically, you you connect to this machine, and it allows you to become. And I don't know if you if I don't know if it's like a being John Malkovich thing where you go into a person's body, but you you become someone else for a while while you're connected to. Yeah, this you thing. can almost drive them. Yeah, and then yeah, being John Malkovich is perfect. Yeah, um, and 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 of course, when something you know when you're doing stuff like that. Something goes wrong, and um, I don't know. I was not excited about this one at all. Yeah, I, as I, soon as I I, I made the connection to Flatliners, yeah, I am, I unplugged. Yeah, it's just like 
<laughs> I didn't mean Tom to do that. Tom is not playing the the game. I am not. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I this was another one. I included it because I felt like I wanted to be representational of of what was coming out. Right. And uh, there was a lot of horror films, yeah. and this is just more of the same. Uh, up next, I, I took it to be a comedy called "I'll Take Your Dead." I, I I can't tell if it's supposed to be a comedy mm-hmm. or if it's supposed to be. Uh, basically, I, there's a guy who kind of has the uh, what was the 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 uh, the character in La Femme Nikita. It's like okay, oh, right. you've killed somebody. Now you got to get rid of the body, and so you call in this guy, the cleaner, who comes in and disposes of the body. Right. You, you know, puts him in an acid bath or a lye bath or whatever, and he, he, he cleans it all up, right? So so this guy is somebody that, like, mobsters and people who kill people bring their dead to. Mm-hmm. And he also has a daughter. He has a little girl. and uh, Who he doesn't hide any of this from. Right, exactly. She's been exposed to all of this. Apparently, one of the people he's trying to clean or get rid of isn't dead, mm-hmm. and uh, he winds up having to uh, keep them hostage, I, I guess, right. in the house. Keeps, he keeps them yeah. alive, yeah. because he can't let them go, because the mob thinks that they're dead. and Which all somehow turns into the mob taking his daughter, and now he's pissed. Yeah. That's not the guy you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> pissed yeah, yeah, yeah. off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it looks cool. It looks I, fine. It's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up next, a uh, documentary on Hayao Miyazaki called Never Ending Man. This looks great. Looks great. Yeah. I think if you're a Miyazaki fan, you're into whatever. Yeah. I, I, it seems like it's focusing on his retirement and then his return. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and having to learn this new shocked, technology. Shocked to see him in the trailer being a, a little bit of a dick. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. 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 You'd think this little old man's going to be so nice. Yeah. 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 Nope. Well, uh, you know. I mean, it's, Disney it's was hard a dick too. It's, it's like, hardline. It's like you're either you're either at this level or you're not. Yeah. I think is what he was saying. Yeah, it's like, basically, yeah, it's I like completely. Agree. We ain't making <laughs> shit here, buddy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you better step up your game. <laughs> uh, up next, uh, Tay Diggs, George Lopez in a drama on cops killing kids and their parents getting revenge called River Runs Red. This reminds me of the of the movie that we. Uh, uh, the trailer we reviewed where it was like all the the wives of the bank yeah. robbers the like bank job together. yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know looks intense looks very intense um, looks timely looks very timely shocked um, that it hasn't happened kind of shows I think it kind of tips its hand a little bit in the trailer because we see a scene where they indeed they have a cop on his guy. knees. Yeah. yeah. Now, what they do with him, I don't know, but yeah. 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 And it's it's it 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 has that sort of like we have a message kind of a thing. I'm right. shocked that at some point it doesn't go dun dun yeah. <laughs> like Law and Order, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just has that feel to it. Like at the end of the day we're gonna make a point. And right. and and maybe the point the point is whether it needs to be made is is, is arguable, but as cinema I think there's no, there's nothing new happening here, but I think the angle on it is so of the time that right. it warrants seeing it. Yeah. Um, another documentary on Orson Welles called "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead." Man, yeah. I am so on board for this. It looks great. Fucking. Uh, first of all, 
I didn't know anything about The Other Side of the Wind, mm-hmm. um, which was the, the last movie that Orson Welles was working on, and it was supposed to be his return to greatness. Right. And uh, um, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, who was kind of Orson Welles' uh, buddy, t- buddy, protege. Yeah, he took care of him. He, 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 There's uh, a great photo of them shopping in like a grocery store right. together. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. weird. Um, but this movie has the, the movie that 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 Orson Welles. Uh, basically, this is like a big behind-the-scenes thing for this movie that didn't get finished. John Huston is like fucking kicking ass in this. Yeah. Like, well, supposedly their Netflix signed a deal that they have all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and I think this is the first like, what do we have? Well, we have the the footage of the filmy shot. We right. have all this back back footage um, or behind the scenes footage, and now I think is this is the behind the scenes footage they have, yeah. and they're still planning. I think. To complete the to film. complete the film. Which, how do you do that? Well, but I mean, I have a DVD knows? at home of Orson Welles' uh, uh, Don Quixote. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. so uh, who yeah. knows what who they're going to do. Kind of weird. Uh, up next, um, Sebastian Silva directs a movie called Terrell. Uh, Silva directed something called Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus and the Maid. It's about um, a black guy who goes on a weekend getaway with his friend. I was going to ask, like, like, what is the occasion? Like, I could I never figure just out. it's guys up in the woods, and they're and like, and we're all going to bring a buddy or something, some shit like that. But yeah. he gets brought along, and as soon as he gets there, he realized, oh shit, this is a, this is a weekend with a bunch of like white guys who. This could go either way. It's 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 a movie about race relations, yeah. and there's a lot of awkward moments. In, really awkward yeah, moments. In, in, in but then it also seems like it gets serious at some point. It's like, yeah. yeah, something. Bad well, I'm, I'm waiting for. Well, first of all, uh, something I read described it as Get Out without the horror element. Right. But um, I saw a review, like in the trailer, they talk about you know one of the best non-horror like, I don't even know what that means Michael Sarah's in it I guess Michael Sarah's in it and he's kind of a dick kind of a dick and uh, 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 I all, don't know. all the white dudes in this from the trailer are, are kind of dicks yeah they're kind of dicks yeah. they're inadvertent dicks where it's like you they're, know they're dumb they're yeah clueless. they're just they're just got, but, but they're just are guys. they like it seems like at some point things change well I think at some point there's some drinking going on sure. and I think at that point at some point, this guy is going to go, all right. Fuck you all. <laughs> Fuck off. Or, or at the <laughs> yeah. very least say, like, look, I don't appreciate it yeah, or yeah, whatever. Right. Who knows? But um, interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And finally, uh, what I mentioned before, the X-Men Dark Phoenix um, thing that's coming out in... Now, what did I, I say? I care less about this than I do I the, the VR movie. Care. The one thing I am kind of interested in is that they talked about how in this... Charles Xavier is kind of the villain. This is the first. Is is the I'm I, I'm asking. Is this the first X Men property that's been done by Marvel no. Studios? This no. This is still Fox. This is still Fox. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All that stuff that I mentioned before. Yeah. It was all a Fox slate. Oh, okay. Okay. 
No, they're waiting. They're they're they're. This was the plan initially was when they mentioned that once that merger happened. I'm sure that that comic book listeners will they're be able screaming to, at they're, me right now. They're they're going to be able to tell but us I, like <laughs> this is the story of how an X Men turns bad. Basically. Yeah, it's a classic X Men story of Jean Grey turning into the Dark Phoenix. Right. Uh, basically, imagine someone with a lot of power, and that power. Once it finds its way through that person, it just comes with all forces. And now right. she's got more power than, I forget, Superman and all that yeah, other yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, Fox was going to make this film in order to keep the franchise, the idea of holding the franchise and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So, they're going to make this film, and then the merger happened. And then everyone thought that they were just going to say, well, we're going to take this film, and no one's ever going to see it, and just throw it away. Basically, throw mm-hmm. it away decided to release it now and so they're going to let this happen um, and then as they get ready in probably 2020-2021 to fold the X-Men into the MCU however I just read an article that said that one of the things that leaked out of uh, Avengers 4 is a Wolverine appearance Okay. so who the fuck knows I don't know and I know you don't care that's right (laughs) Moving on to what Man, we've been watching. until they wear their yellow fucking Supposedly outfit. they do in this. Oh, okay. <laughs> They've got the whole uh, shenanigans. All right. Uh, moving on to what, you, what we've been watching. I watched The Ranger, and that was, that was it. Just I watched The Ranger um, in preparation for this show, mm-hmm. um, and that was cool. I watched um, a really cool documentary. I never knew that I cared anything about the He-Man Franchise. Oh yeah, that's on the things on Netflix. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called um, Power of Grayskull. It's fucking awesome. Right on. I missed He Man. I was too old. Me right. Too. I was a. I was like. He Man was like my son. R- yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, it was like. Uh, it was like the 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 younger kids around me because I was like a. I I was in high school, and um, this is an amazing documentary. It 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 lays out how you know, toy companies work. It lays out how the, it, it, uh, uh, they, they, they branch off into, like, cartoons and all that stuff. I, I, you know, I, I had no idea that, like, Frazetta was, like, a huge inspiration for these guys. Oh. And, uh, dude, it's, it's really good. Check you, it out. you gotta check it out. And, and, like, the guy who came up with the names, he was, like, you know, uh, the, you know one of the characters was Merman. He, he was like, I was really bad at names. Like, he was semen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, and it's good. That's and awesome. you, you got to check it out, yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, I watched The Ranger, and I watched... Uh, I've been watching... Um, I wa- There's a podcast. I watch video podcast called Kill Tony. It's about stand-up comedy. Hmm. And they did a small tour. Um, and it's hilarious. So it's, a, it's a, the most chaotic thing I've ever seen, but it's hilarious. Cool. Uh, going on to books, reading anything? No. I'm still reading Catherine Dunn's Geek Love. That's a great book. And I'm purposely... I'm reading it like every paragraph is in and of itself like a like a little mystery. You know, I read it, and I sit back, and I just marvel sure. at how she, how she writes. Yeah, that's an amazing book. Uh, moving on to, finally, what are you listening to? So I checked out... Um, Nile Rodgers and Sheik. Nice. Um, after <laughs> I, I, God knows how many years, uh, have come out with an album. It's called uh, "It's About Time." And what I didn't realize until I listened to it is that 
I really, I really like Nile Rogers. Mm-hmm. Like I love his funky music. He's a I great love, producer. I love the work that he did with David Bowie mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Slang Robbie, um, I want to say as well, right? I, I, I really don't like Chic. <laughs> like it sounds exactly like it just came out of. It sounds no different than. Um, what was their big hit? Freak oh, out for La, La yeah, Freak. La yeah. Freaks, the she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. it's like an entire album of that stuff. Yeah, okay. So I wrote that so, down, so and now I'm going, So no. no no advancement there at all. Like, there's just go and pick any one song off of that, and I will. you'll hear the whole thing. Um, I also uh, uh, am really digging... Um, Revan Horton Heat just came out with a new song. You know, it's weird now because everybody's streaming. People aren't coming out with albums necessarily. Some people do. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of people just release like a song. Yeah, singles. Know, yeah. Um, which is weird. In uh, fact, I'll be honest with you. I've added singles to sure. Die Tribe. I'm about to give you a song. Okay. Go ahead. Um, but he has a new song called Whole New Life. And uh, it's way more. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's awesome. Um, it's way more boogie woogie. Um, as uh, oh, right on. Uh, uh, exemplified by the um, wh- when I saw them the la- the last time I saw them they had added a piano player so it's oh, not cool. just a not just a, a three piece anymore there's a piano player and he's great and uh, so figure like you know the Reverend Horton Heat with Jerry Lee Lewis on piano very cool yeah it's very cool um, you should definitely check it out um, last week was my birthday um, we went and saw um, Flogging Molly and the Dropkick Murphys nice. so leading up to that I listened to a lot of that stuff um, which I had been really familiar with um, it was a great show and, and awesome uh, yeah, the, yeah they're both a great band yeah great band of a, of a mood but yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's see Willie Nelson has a new record out called My Way. It's all Sinatra stuff, <laughs> and it's great. What is it with everybody? Like they, everybody does that. Like like it's Dylan has been doing that for a yeah. while, and it's great. Uh, it's, it's really good. Cool. Yeah, it's very very good. I love Willie Nelson. Uh, let's. I there's a Jungle has a record out called Forever. There's a group called Perverse. They're Norwegian kind of hip hop. And I'm, it's not something I'd normally re- re- suggest or listen to, but it's so fucking catchy okay. that you just cannot believe it. Um, band called C418, Ambient Record, called Excursions. This is for, you know, you're, you've, you smoked your pot, you're on the couch chilling, and mm-hmm. you're just, you know, doing your thing. Um, ran into a big rack of things that... Um, you remember ECM? There was a record label. They did jazz stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Very, yeah. what I call airy jazz, where the arrangements are super loose. They're super improvisational. Nah. Uh, Michael Plug has a, and Mark Turner have a record out called Pharaoh. The Tord Gustafsson Trio called The Other Side. Stefan AB Trio, London Concert, John Sermon, Where Fortune Smiles. All of them are great if you like that kind of thing. If you don't, you're going to hate this. Um, Billy, oddly named Billy F. Gibbons, has a record out called yeah. The Big Bad Blues. Yeah, I've heard a couple songs off of yeah. it. Yeah. 
I listened to the whole record. It's a good time. It's a good time. Everything, though, I walked away thinking, everything sounds like a mashup between LaGrange and Jesus Just Left Chicago. Well, but it's Billy Gibbons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you remember that Hendrix, he was... Do you remember his weird little Afro-Cuban thing that he yeah, did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he People did were it. doing that for a while. Like, yeah. Big Audio Dynamite was kind of doing a little yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. And Everybody was into the world music thing for Gary a while, Myrick. including Billy Gibbons. Yeah, yeah. wow. Uh, great guitar player. Yeah. Can't say anything bad about that. Yeah. Uh, I singles. Like he was a singer, too. Dude. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact, how much, what's amazing most about ZZ Top is, when you go see him, is how much sound comes out. Comes out. It's like Rush. That's like Rush. Out of those like three guys. Three guys are like making this, what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, talked about singles. Here we go. John Carpenter has a single out called "The Shape Returns." Um, it's Is for it this part new of the new movie. Yeah, okay, yeah. it's it's the it's it's the same the Halloween theme. It's the cla- uh, you know what that is? It's the, it's it's the clave that you learn on the on the conga. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a little back to yeah, 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 yeah. Really weird. I, it's good. You know, it's John Carpenter. It's fine. It's good. It's it's wonderful. Um, I'm gonna fuck this up. Alexander. Dmitrijevic. Um, the song is called Luminous and Unstoppable. It's the music that's playing in the background of the Captain Marvel trailer. Do you think, and it's awesome. Do you think that like New Age and ambient people uh, you know how like like a lot of people like you know they, they, they when they're trying to become pop stars or rock stars will change their name to something that's that's yeah. Like, you know, do you think that like these guys, these guys. You know, they, like, do you think this guy was like Bob Smith? And yeah. he's like, oh, I can't be that. I gotta like change Those my name to like some weird. I come from a long line of Dmitry Dechevich's. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's like even weirdly, you have people like Michael Bolton. Um, he used to perform and and record under the name Michael Bolton, and he was in he was in this horrible band called Blackjack. With yeah. Like Bruce Cullick from Kiss on guitar and and uh, um, the drummer I forget the guy's name Vinny Apice on drums fucking crazy Vinny Apice played it him and Carmine like played on Carmine everything Not Vinny. Okay. Carmine it was Carmine and yeah it was terrible but there you go well, the, uh, Dave King from um, Flogging Molly he was in some horrible hair metal band well look at back. Look at, uh, have you ever heard of the band Delirium? Maybe. They're like an ambient band. They, they, they sound, they started, they made the ball that Enigma picked up. Okay, yeah. But that band is Frontline Assembly. <laughs> the industrial <laughs> band. And they, you, there's a big thing now of um, death metal guys in Sweden and stuff. I think we talked about it with Andrew. Um Hardcore <laughs> cookie monster. Yeah, stuff. and they're doing like this crazy weird ambient. Really yeah, 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 weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, I got two losers of the week. All right. Slash has a record out <laughs> called "Living the Dream," uh-huh. and this this sounds like it was made by an eleven year old. And he's got this guy Miles Kennedy working with him, and it's fucking horrible. However, uh, even worse. Even worse. So. They did a sequel to Mamma Mia, and in Mamma Mia, they cast Cher. In the sequel. In the sequel. Uh Uh-huh. So Cher decides to release a record of ABBA songs called Dancing Queen. Uh. Oh, man. It's 
the music, it's like they just stripped off the vocals out of the NABBA record. It's so letter perfect. Uh, Her voice is auto-tuned, and it's manipulated. You know, she was the first one. With that, with that, do you, do and you, you still can't in, escape that song. Yeah. You can't go to a gay bar. <laughs> but you know what? From a producing standpoint, it's solid. I guess. It's annoying, but it's solid. But this thing is really terrible. She, she does every one. big ABBA song you could imagine, right. Fernando and blah blah blah. I want to hear Cher do Waterloo. You're like, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, you. Because I guess. I guess it makes Waterloo. sense. Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. I just, I guess it makes sense in some way. Yes, I, I mean, she's in the movie. Tangentially, I guess, but, yeah. Anyway. You know, it's like, Cher is kind of like, for me, it's kind of like Elton John. Like, I love listening to, like, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, mm-hmm. and all that early 70s stuff. Sure. And I, and I just don't care about any of the rest of it. After that, I just wanted to see her as an actress. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, and it's just weird to think, like, I mean, I don't want to be like that, but, like, she's 70-something? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oof. Yeah. It's just, it's just sounds well, does like... She, I mean, does she still have a strong voice? No, that's why all of the uh, manipulation and the modulation. Yeah. Like, she doesn't hit those big, uh, power I guess, stuff. I guess Paul Simon had his... Final, final concert. Yeah, it limped night, to yeah. its tour, yeah. it end of its tour. Yeah, it yeah. was just uh, his new record. I told you a couple of weeks ago or last week is terrible, dude. It was number one. It's terrible. <laughs> that is again. I said the two Pauls. It was him and Paul McCartney's yeah. record is super yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. All right. So thanks again to Heather Buck- Buckley for coming by. Yeah. There was if you in whatever in whatever opportunity you get to see it, check out the the movie The Ranger. Absolutely. Um, yeah, right now it's at film festivals, but I'm sure soon we're going to see it on video on demand or disc or uh, something. Something. You're, you're, laser you're, disc. You're going to be able to to see it somehow. Yeah, yeah. And she told us some of that stuff. And yeah. 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 She's working on cool yeah. shit. Yeah. She is. So um, that's it. Next week, we have an uh, artist guy scheduled, Robert Elrod, who's killing it. He did some work on the Carpenoctum coloring books, and um, he's doing some awesome stuff. Yeah. And we are now officially next week into Halloween. Bam. And we're doing good stuff from there. Uh, and we're booked through January. Wow. So there you go. Um, that's it. Please go to the Facebook page. Uh, we talked to Heather, and Heather said you can find her on social media. Just look up Heather Buckley. She's on Facebook. Yeah. She's on um, Twitter. Um, I know she's on a bunch of stuff like that. Instagram. Probably, I was going to say Instagram. Right, right, right. Just so, look up Heather Buckley. You'll yeah, find she's, her. She rocks. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks again for listening um, for the Bonus Material Podcast. I'm Tom Parnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scared.